conversations about love and sex arise, sometimes people only get to say. With us, we're going to dive deeper. I'm Anthony Brentman. I'm Elle Fromm. And, and this, this is the Going, going Deeper, deeper podcast. podcast. Episode 3, Episode we back. Episode 3. And we have haters now. That's we so crazy. Now. So this is the first episode that we are recording after the first episode has dropped. And, yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit about my family and friends' reaction first. Start positive. So I've been really fortunate. Um, all of my family members who have reacted have said really, have, they've all been very kind. So, like, my aunt, um, my aunts, plural, my cousins, or my first cousin once removed, who's my mom's cousin, they've all said really kind things, you know, that I sound confident, that they're proud of me, and that really means a lot to me as somebody who parentally was raised pretty strict, but my extended family includes a great deal of women who I've always been so inspired by. And even people who weren't as thrilled, like some of my older family members, they were still nice. Like, they weren't like, this is wrong. They were like, you should be careful what you say. You know, this is going to be on the internet forever. Sometimes these things can come back and, like, haunt you, I guess. So even though it wasn't as supportive, it was still nice. They still had my best interests at heart. And that really means a lot to me. Yeah. And I loved one of the things, I forget who said it, but they were saying, like, you're very well-spoken, this is perfect for you, and whichever one of your family members said that, I completely agree, because, like, just recording with you and, like, hearing you speak, I just, I'm very honored and happy to have you as a co-host for, like, topics like this, because we've always had the connection to talk about it just, like, off the mic, and now we can provide a source of knowledge and education and just lighthearted conversation for people who want this type of content. And one of the biggest... I guess, forms of criticism was, like, our design, which it was crazy. It wasn't even about the material we talked about. Well, episode. yeah, a few, yeah, so moving on, and my, my friends have been wonderfully supportive as well, but moving on to strangers on the internet. Mm. So I didn't see anything on Facebook or Twitter. Oh, I'm sorry, X. But on Instagram is where most of, most of the reactions were. So a few people said, like, why is this news? And, I mean, that is a point. It's not a good point, but it's a point. <laughs> Um, but what is considered news, it, it varies. Like, there is fashion journalism, entertainment journalism. So stuff like this is still news because it is relevant to MSU's campus. People on this campus fall in love. People on this campus have sex. Like, that's not, that, that, that clearly exists. So if there is an interest from the student body, then of course it's news. And nobody is making you listen to this. And, I mean, even talking about this stuff, the people who have problems are not the people who are going to listen to this podcast. That's just not how it works. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, we have four other podcasts. If you want serious journalism, go listen to the 1909. Like, nobody is stopping you. They do wonderful work over there. If you want pop culture, listen to House Lights. Right? Or sports, sports roundtable, or y'all got all shades of chocolate. Like, mm -hmm. it's not, nobody's making you listen to this. Yeah. And... With the people that do listen, I'm honestly very grateful. Like, I checked some of the analytics. We got, like, the day we posted about it, that same day with all the criticism, we got, like, 40 listeners that day. Do you think they've so, listened to the whole hour? <laughs> now, that's, I don't know how to look at that. I'm trying to figure that out. But with the people that do want to listen, shout out to y'all. And shout out to Zach, who made the logo. I mean. Yeah, Zach Balkoff is the graphic art Balkoff. I think that's how you say his name. Shout out to Zach. I'm not sure, but hopefully you didn't pronounce it wrong. But. One of the most interesting things was, matter of fact, before I even say the issue, I'm going to reference a conversation I had with Zach. So and this is before, because, yeah, this is before any, any final design was made. He showed me a draft, and 
we had like okay first of all i was blown away he's an incredible designer he's a remarkable artist like, the he's, shading he's talented the yeah. shading isn't as clear in the final design but mm -hmm. it is impressive like he's shot on him and um when making the first draft i looked at him like okay this is really dope and with the underwear part i asked i'm like okay instead of it being all one form of underwear um could half of it be like one shade, like all black, and then the other half be the lingerie, so it can kind of symbolize underwear and lingerie. Because we're not, we're trying to have it symbolize no one. Like we're not trying to have it be guy, girl. It's just a design. <laughs> exactly, because most of the hate or just the pleasure, yeah, yeah, was was about the graphic. It wasn't actually about the content of the podcast. And I think it is very fascinating the way that people project their own ideas onto an existing graphic because I did assume it was a woman but like Anthony pointed out to me it's not it's just a person and that's not even something we're saying after the fact like that was in the original thoughts because like I was a little hesitant about having a person on the cover because I don't I didn't want anyone to feel like it couldn't be for them so like in the original design I've been calling the person Alex in my head because that's kind of a gender neutral name in the original design Alex was very very pale and there's nothing wrong with that, but I was like, oh, I don't want anybody to think that this couldn't be about them. So the the person is in shadow on the on the final design. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it's just it's like some there was a commenter that said this is in, in in his exact words, or their exact words, entirely suggestive of a man going deeper with a woman. There's no second person. I was about to say, you, you, you reach it. Yeah. Whoever that was, they reach it. <laughs> yeah, to be entirely suggest, Absolutely not. Um, people said, like, this could be triggering, or it's just people see what they want to see. So when you see a person wearing lace as a symbol for a sex and love podcast, like, what did you think it was going to look like? And they just make these kind of wild assumptions that aren't really there. Yeah, and that was one of the difficulties when making the design. It's like, we don't want to go too far, especially since this is a news organization, but it's also a sex and love podcast. So it's not, there's only so much appropriateness, quote unquote, we can have. But exactly. I do want to also say, like, our intent, even if we're discussing the haters, like, our intent was not to offend no one nor trigger anyone. And Very true, yes. The intent of this podcast is to have an open conversation and hopefully learn something, especially just like I opened up with Elle a few things about like being ignorant to a lot of things like hopefully we can reach an audience that wants to consume this content one but also be able to learn new things about whether you like your own body someone else's or like about relationships like today we're starting our polygamy series and yeah we are and we're not intending to offend anyone and if we do we'll obviously if it ever happens god forbid we'll give an apology if it happens but just to put it out there now like if we say something that may come off harsh or like, you feel we don't know enough about it, we do apologize, and we, especially Elle, tries to put a lot of work into researching these topics so she can know, like, what we're talking yeah. about. So, I don't, yeah. I, I, I don't want to walk anything back before I've said it, mm -hmm. but Anthony is correct in that our intent is not to injure anybody. Yeah. And again, if you don't like it, turn it off. Yeah. If you can't make it through the whole first episode, because it was an hour, our bad, <laughs> turn it off. But before we talk about today's topic, there was some person who said, what if somebody blurts something out? So here's what you have to understand. I write outlines for the podcast, and Anthony does the editing. Mm -hmm. We are not going to blurt something out. Like, if we were to say something 
like, like, like I said, I'm, we're following an outline. Like it's free flowing, obviously. We don't like, there's no script, but yeah, nobody is going to blurt anything out. And if they were to do that, then it would be removed within the editing process. On to today's topic. Today we start our polyamory series. So this is gonna be two episodes. The first part is going to be what I would call historical or anthropological polyamory. And the second episode is going to feature like modern polyamory or what polyamory looks like today. So to start out, we're gonna go over some vocab because there's a lot of complicated terminology in, in conversations like these. So we've got polygamy, bigamy, plural marriage, polyamory, open relationships, polygamy, and polyandry. So to run that back. Today we're mostly going to be talking about polygamy and bigamy because it is a historical sense. So we are talking about marriages here mm -hmm. for the most part. Um, whereas next week we'll be talking about open relationships or polyamory, which is dating more than one person. That's polyamory. And sometimes that can look like um, an open relationship. Sometimes that can be three or more people all dating each other. Like it has many forms that we'll go into next week. But this week, so bigamy refers to marrying somebody else while simultaneously being married to a spouse who is still living. Polygamy refers to the practice of having more than one spouse, especially a wife, at once. Both practices are illegal in many places. Shout out dictionary.com for that. Um, yeah, so polygamy is comprised of two things. There's polygamy, I hope, I hope I'm saying that right, where, which is uh, more than one wife, and then polyandry, which is more than one husband. So for the majority of this conversation, I'm going to use polygamy and polygamy interchangeably. Um, shout out Merriam-Webster. So. Anthony, do you have any comments on vocab? One, just the fact that when you research these type of things, you can find out like all these different terms. Like we'll get into this in the more in the second part of this the modern episode. But I've been in a polyamorous relationship and I didn't know all those terms. So just the fact that this is such a broad topic, it's very interesting to me, especially since being in one in the past and not knowing one in the middle of it didn't really know what it was and then learning what it really was but going back years now or years later now and hearing that there's like different terms for if you got multiple wives multiple husbands and you'll get into that but it's just so interesting yeah so the origins of like i said i'm going to be using polygamy um so i found this book by a woman her name is sarah m i i, I think it's parasol or pearsol I'm going to be saying parasol, like the fruit. Okay. So hopefully that's right. I couldn't find any um, record of her saying her own name. So it's the book is called Polygamy, A Very Short Introduction. So even this book is, is an introduction. Like, because we do deep dives here, but we don't do, there are no submarines. <laughs> I made that joke earlier. Um, so here are some, here's a quote from her book. Overall, though, polygamy allowed for resource building, diplomatic links, and the creation of significant networks. So here we're talking the origin. So the first written, this is another quote from her, the first written law code in the world, that of Hammurabi around 1780 BCE, 
allowed a man with a barren or diseased wife to take a second wife. At the same time, it mandated that the second wife should not be seen as equal to the first. Wow. So it stemmed from infertility or disease. That that was the first, as many, as some, some of you may know, the first um, law code was the Code of Hammurabi. Um, would write widely regarded as the first law code. So, yeah, that, that's kind of the origin of it. And polygamy takes place all over the world. And there are so many different interpretations of it and ways that it exists. So we're, kind, we're going to be talking a little more specifically about it in the Western world mm -hmm. because that's where we live. But it's a fascinating topic. Like I, the book was accessible to us through the MSU library. Um, yeah, I, I read a little bit of it. It, it. it just seems fascinating. I'll probably use it more um, next week. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting about um, polygamy, the next, the next point I want to address. Oh, wait, did you have anything to say about the origins? No, you did. Okay. What's interesting is the religious aspect. So people who were raised... Christian, or this is the Old Testament, so Jewish as well. Um, I think Muslim as well. I, I'm not. I'm not very familiar with Islam. I'll be fully honest with you guys. Um, but there's a biblical reference to King Solomon, and I've got a very long quote that I will use some of here. This is from the Catholic Bible because I was raised Catholic, so that's the one I'm familiar with. Uh, the Book of Kings, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. I said I'll, I'll say a few of it. Uh, but King Solomon loved many foreign wives. These were from the nations about which the Lord had said to the Israelites, you are not to go near them, nor will they come to you, um, for they will surely turn your heart away to follow their gods. Uh, okay. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and his, wife, his wives perverted his heart. Mm. So I have always known about King Solomon having a lot of wives, but I did not know that it was a cautionary tale of sorts. Because what's interesting in there is, uh, you know, a little bit goes into the idea of interfaith marriages, which we're not going to get into. Um, obviously, I have no problem with interfaith marriages. I'm sure you don't either. I don't even know what you're talking about. When people of two different religions marry each other. There's a word for that? What do you what's it again? Interfaith marriages. Hmm. Never know. Yeah, I don't got no, I don't matter to me that much. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I, I think it does. If your religion is extremely important to you, it's unlikely you'd marry outside of it. Mm -hmm. um, if, like, you want your kids raised a certain way, but people of different faiths marry all the time. There's nothing wrong with that. I've always wondered how that dynamic goes with, like, raising kids and, like, being in the relationship. Because I've heard, like you mentioned, like, if it's very serious to them, then they wouldn't tend to date out their religion. But it's pretty interesting. I didn't even know it was a I word mean, for it. Usually people... They talk about things before they get married. People mm -hmm. should talk about a lot of stuff before they get married. Definitely. Hold on the calendar. Yes. <laughs> but the part about King Solomon having 700 wives and 300 concubines, I didn't know it was a cautionary tale. Real quick question. What's a concubine? Do you know? It is like kind of a sex slave. Wow. Okay. So like a harem. Um, I don't know if you know that term. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. They have varying degrees of rights across the world, but... And that is what a concubine is. Because, you know, the 700 wives weren't enough. You need 300 concubines. Yeah, exactly. So that is from the Catholic Bible. And then the book I was mentioning by Parasol says, um, The Old Testament is filled with stories of kings who gained power through the reproductive and domestic labor of multiple wives 
In such systems, however, power rarely accrued to the wives themselves, despite all they did. Instead, it was the royal mothers of kings who claimed the greatest feminine authority. Mm. So, I don't know if you are familiar with Hepset Hepset Shut. I have to sing the puppet history, uh, that's Watcher, the Watcher Entertainment Network's puppet history show, which I enjoy. Uh, They've got a little song I have to sing in my head to say her name correctly. She was an Egyptian pharaoh. She was one of the, I believe, the first female pharaohs. Um, And that's, that's an interesting story within itself, but... Yeah, power rarely accrued to the wives themselves. Instead, it was the royal mothers of kings who claimed the authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's sort of biblical or religious polyamory, polygamy, um, which is it's a very interesting concept because poly, polyamory may be on the rise, but it is not new. Mm-hmm. But, speaking of religion, by far, at least in our Western society, the most what people think of most when they hear polygamy or bigamy in particular is mormons so mormons are the the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints and i want to start by saying that most mormons are not polygamous so mormons outlawed polygamy and bigamy in within their church in 1890. so one term that um, i've heard used a lot is plural marriage because it with regards to almost everything we're talking about today, these were marriages where the husband married multiple wives, but the wives were not married to one another. Mm. Okay. So that is an important distinction because then you get into a question of sexuality. So this is just a husband having more than one wife. Okay. Um, yeah, so Mormons, most of them are not polygamous. And I was able to find this document, this sort of book or article, it was originally written, published in 1982 and received substantial backlash by, oh my goodness, I cannot believe I did not write down the name of the author. How rude of me. Oops. Um, apologies. But it's called The Origin of Mormon Polygamy and the RLDS Response, a preliminary analysis. And I read a little bit of it, like I said, published in 1982, and it received quite a bit of backlash. And it was basically trying to outline the history of polygamy within Mormonism. And I think a lot of the backlash, so the founder, Mormonism was founded in 1830 by a man named Joseph Smith Jr. Um, A lot of it seemed to be trying to distance him from polygamy. So his son, Joseph Smith III said that like his father never took multiple wives. So not only um, is it establishing the history, it's kind of like retconning it in a way. So his wife's name was Emma. And there's a lot of debate within the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints whether or not Emma was his only wife. So that kind of remains a little unknown, but it's a very interesting concept where most people know Mormonism and plural marriage is from the TV show Sister Wives, which we are going to talk about more next week. Okay. But I think it is, again, important to restate that most Mormons are not, are not polygamous. It's really like a sect of them, um, and that's section, uh, like fundamentalist Mormons who, who believe in plural marriage. So, yeah. 
Any any thoughts on Mormonism, Anthony? The first thought I had was shout out Eminem's first on Renegade. Mm. <laughs> but um <laughs> it's very interesting because when I first my first experience with knowing about Mormonism, there was a is that is that a word? Mormonism? Mormonism, yeah, I believe okay, so. Cool. But um my mom had me, her, and my dad watch a movie, and we thought it was, like, Christian, like, non-denominational, what we believe in, and then the end of the movie, it pretty much, like, said that they were Mormons, and it was a shock to us, because, especially me, this was about a few years ago, so I didn't really know the difference, and then they were like, oh, wow, we didn't, like, know this was this uh, type of film, and it's interesting and weird to not really know the difference still. I, like, I still kind of don't get it, but I just... I know it's different, but mm -hmm. it's just interesting to have it kind of called back to the conversation we're having now because I hadn't really heard the term unless I was in Renegade. <laughs> um, I hadn't really heard the term or like thought about the religion until like, or ever since we watched that movie all the years ago. So it's kind of cool to have it all come back full circle. Well, what's fascinating is that some people don't consider Mormons Christians at all. Interesting. So... Well, this is not a great source. I, I, I just looked this up, so forgive me, but uh, Wikipedia says that nearly all Mormons self-identify as Christian. So they do or don't self-identify. They do self-identify, self but Mormons do not believe, oh, this is a more uh, better source, luthercollege.edu. Um, <laughs> Mormons do not believe in the Trinity, like the Father, Son, and the Spirit. That's the difference. Okay. So I think that is probably, but I mean, Christianity is a complicated topic. Do they say what they believe in if they don't believe in the Trinity? Right. So Mormons believe in a third book, like the way, um, and this is an elementary understanding, I understand that. Oh, that was a fun sentence. I'm aware of that. Um, you know, Jews believe in the Old Testament or the Torah, which I think the Torah is specifically the first five books of the Bible, but I could be wrong. Um, Christians believe in the New Testament, and Muslims believe in the Quran, which is a Quran, um, which is different. And then Mormons believe in in they have a their own book called the Book of Mormon, like the musical, which is probably not the most accurate depiction, but it is a good musical and it is funny. And Turn It Off is a hilarious song. So there's that. Um, yeah, so they they believe they have they believe that um, like. Christians came to America, and that the Garden of Eden was in Jackson, Missouri. It's it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating thing to think about because this is true for all religions. But a lot of times when people talk about um, when people talk about religion, they tend to pull the most controversial parts forward. So when people talk about, for example. Um, baptism they will talk about how homophobia is kind of prevalent within the baptist church when people talk about catholicism they talk about the scandals involving um the rape and assault of children when people talk about uh islam they talk about fundamentalists you know what i mean and that's that's not most of the religion so when people talk about mormons they talk about polygamy despite the fact that most mormons aren't polygamous mm. You know, most, most Mormons are, I'm sure, wonderful people. Um, they have interesting rules about, al like about alcohol and tattoos. But a lot of Christians have 
don't don't drink or don't believe in tattoos. You know. Mm -hmm. So yes, that is that is uh, Mormonism and polygamy. A brief history. So I mentioned this earlier, but polygamy is a thing all across the world. Okay. And it is it looks different everywhere it's practiced. Mm -hmm. Like I was reading about um, how some Pacific Islanders have a, according to this author Parasol, have a more um, not loving but more positive view of polygamy, where like a man would marry sisters, like actual sisters, and that it helps sustain generational bonds and it provides like um, you know it helps women raise their children. That kind of thing, mm -hmm. whereas other other forms of polygamy, like European polygamy, aren't as aren't always as positive. So, it's it's just an interesting thing. Yeah, we're going to be talking specifically about Western society. Mm -hmm. I know we've talked about biblical references, but going forward, so American society. Um, I learned about this in a sociology class from a woman. Her name is Teresa Siabatari. She has a book called Sociology of Families, Change, Continuity, and Diversity. Um, she talks about the difference between institutional, companionate, and individualist, individualist marriage. So polygamy would probably fall, would definitely fall into the first one, which is institutional marriage, which is women being married off, usually by their fathers, to a man for strategic reasons, land ownership, political alliances, things like that. And usually these communities would live together. So you would live with your, um, like if you were, if, if I were married to a man, I might live with my sister-in-law. And it was quite common for the closest relationships to be between female friends. And yeah, platon platonically. So, so it's, Institutional marriage is often looked down upon, but that's not to say that it didn't have its merits. Whereas then in the 1950s, this idea of companionate marriage came forward, which is like, it, it's the romance of it, the high school sweethearts, you know, like you're my one and only, you're my best friend, that kind of marriage came forward. And that can be very, I mean, it, it probably allows the, for women to have a lot more freedom but it, it can also be very, not toxic, but this was before the no-fault no divorce was established. Maybe. So so no-fault divorce was this law passed, I think by Kennedy? Yes, Kennedy. Um, saying that you didn't have a, you didn't need a reason to get divorced. So in the United States before then, somebody had to cheat um, or, well, obviously death. But somebody had to cheat. Their like bigamy was another example. They were married to somebody before that. Um, the no fault divorce allowed for you could just get divorced because it wasn't working out. Wow. And after no fault divorce was instituted, domestic violence rates went down. Wow. Because people could. I mean, the majority of divorces are initiated by women, and that's an interesting statistic because often in marriage it falls on the woman to do, like, the paperwork. So even if the woman isn't the one who, like, in initiates it, she might be expected to carry that task out. Why? Um, because people, husbands, in, in heterosexual marriages, the division of labor and gender roles will dictate that the woman, um, like, manages the household. Okay. And manages, like, the paperwork. And by the way, just to give a bit of context on my end is why I'm, like, more so quiet, 
literally learning as as she goes. Like with y'all, I'm learning, so I don't have no, I don't have much input because I don't know about a lot of this. But trying to listen as much as I can, letting L let her cook. So okay, um, so then this gave rise to individualist marriage, which is what we see now, which is you expect one person to fulfill you entirely in every aspect. So that is your best friend, that is your soulmate. They are expected to fulfill you sexually, mentally, emotionally, physically. I'll be like your medicine, you take hey, every dose of hey, these. Hey. I, as I was saying that, it made me, um, I remembered that song. Um, yeah, so individualist marriage is the idea that one person is your one and only, that's all you have. Um, so polygamy would fall under institutional marriage within Western society. Okay. So the next thing and our final topic here is polygamy's role in oppressing women. And Which, when here, she brought this to me, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Because I, I found an interesting article by a Susan von Struensen. Shout out Susan. I'm going to just call her Susan. From July of 2004 that I initially thought was 102 pages, but it just included references. <laughs> Um, called The Contribution of Polygamy to Women's Oppression and Impoverishment, an Argument for its Prohibition. So this is where we get into that polygamy and how polygamy is usually used in terms of um, a man taking multiple wives. Although the reverse, polyandry, um, I read was prevalent in the Himalayas. There was a book about women taking multiple husbands in Nepal and the Himalayas. Okay. Tragically, the book was not available to MSU students online. So I feel like I've had to, maybe I'll go to the library and check it out, you know? Um, but the quote from Susan is, Poly polygamy exacerbates the impoverishment of women by limiting their access to financial resources during the marriage and upon divorce or death of the husband. Okay. So, yeah, it's a very interesting concept because polygamy can mean so many different things across the world, but it is, in my opinion, it is definitely a tool to oppress women mm. because otherwise we would see the reverse as more common. Okay. And she makes a point there about if you are not legally married to somebody, when they die, you might not get a portion of their estate. You know, and I know that was a big argument um, that is actually how gay marriage became legalized. Was There was a couple, um, and one of them died, and because of that, they were married in another state and moved, and it was like, you don't have access to his estate, and he's like, that's my husband. So that is the case that legalized gay marriage in the yep. United States in 2015. Hmm. Um, I'm, forgive me, I don't know the, the name of the case, but yeah, so, so when you think about polygamy and access, financial access, it's a very interesting concept, and this got brought up a lot on Sister Wives, more so in recent years. I'm assuming that's a show. Yes, it's a show on DLC. Okay. Um, at the start of the show, features a guy named Cody, and he has their fundamentalist Mormons. That's what he says at the beginning of the show. And um, he has three wives, and then he, he takes a fourth. Uh, so the show has been on for a number of years, and the family is not all entirely together anymore, but... A few of them have spoken out after the fact, talking about how money was really tight growing up. Mm. Because it is hard to support, I mean, and some of them worked, I think one of them didn't, but it's hard to support children and multiple wives. Like, if you have a ton of, because children is a whole other concept, because, like we were talking earlier about historical context, 
it was needed often to produce a lot of children. Okay. And especially if you were in a position of power, if you were a royal, you needed you needed children to carry on your line, to carry on your lineage. So that is one of the reasons that additional wives or concubines were introduced, so that a man's of line would stay in power. Wow. Yeah. So anything you want to add about women or anything I've discussed? Not necessarily, only because... Like I mentioned earlier, this was a lot of very new information to me, so it's a lot of it's still kind of processing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, to kind of allude to um, next week. Next week, yeah. There's something I want to mention to you off the mic, just so we can keep it a sneak peek for our next episode. Oh my God, but something you mentioned relates heavily to my experience in my polyamorous relationship. But to find out about um, that, you guys got to tune in next week. Absolutely. And with that being said, hang on. Sorry. Oh, one one more thing, real quick. Um, <laughs> uh, I am not entirely sure of how to correctly cite sources within a podcast format. Okay. So I'm familiar with APA style and mm -hmm. also um, MLA and AP, obviously, but I'm not quite sure how to cite things in a podcast format. So. I did my best to mention the full titles of stuff and the authors, um, but if I missed anything, I will address it next week when we talk about polyamory in the modern age and what that looks like. Definitely. And with that being said, we're always going to take a deep dive, but sometimes it's good to come up for air. This has been the Going Deeper Podcast.